Welcome to Afro Leads, the podcast. Afro Leads consists of two sisters, myself, Julie, and my sister, Steph, and we're on a mission to promote UK Black business and culture. At present, we have an Instagram platform where we post positive daily posts about Black business, culture, groups, communities, celebrities, music, and so much more. So today we are joined by the fabulous Jamoke Abdullahi, one half of the fabulous Triple Cripples, a brand and a platform created by two queens who want to represent and shine a light on disabled black women and non-binary people of colour living with disabilities. Jamoke is of Nigerian British heritage and is an accomplished writer, speaker, expert lecturer, consultant, and somebody who has a great passion for social justice. She has lived experience of the intersectionality of being black and disabled as she contracted polio before her first birthday and does not know life before it. This has never slowed this queen down, as you'll find out through this podcast. We are truly inspired by Jamaica's travel blog, at J on Life, where you can keep up to date with her travels, recommendations and perspectives on how accessible her chosen destinations are. We definitely recommend you give that a follow. Jamaica is also an ambassador for an amazing charity called Star Children Initiative. Now, this charity works to enable an advocate for disabled youths and women in her home nation of Nigeria, as well as providing support for parents here in the UK. We are super excited to get to know more about this queen. We know that this podcast is going to be really informative and a fun conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You're more than welcome. And we were just saying before that we've been huge fans of Triple Cripples and yourself for a long time. So for us, it's a huge honour to have you on to the podcast. How are you? How is everything? How's life been, obviously, in these strange times? Yeah, I'm I'm okay, generally. And then sometimes you'll be watching the news, you know, looking back over 2020 and now more recently 2021. Like, wow, we have all gone through so much and unfortunately quite a number of people again unfortunately especially those that um, look like us haven't been able to make it but I'm still quietly hopeful for the future because of uh, wonderful people like those at the helm of Afro Leeds you know like shining a light on Black British culture that is oftentimes at least globally isn't really considered like whenever we think of Blackness Like either we're looking at black Americans or we're looking at the great continent of Africa, but it's like there are others within the diaspora, those on the British Isles, those that are in Europe, those that are in Latin America, for example, in Asia as well, like black people are present all over the globe and, you know, we all need to, we all need to big ourselves up. So I'm very happy that you're doing that for for the UK. Oh, thank you. That's so oh, thank you. Would you mind if just to get a bit more understanding about the lady that we have before us, just to ask you a bit about what it was like growing up? Where did you grow up, for example? Is that okay to ask you about that? Yes, of course, of course. So yeah, what were you like as a youngster and where were you born? Okay, as a youngster, I was rather precocious. I don't know if you can tell. Um, but I was um, I was born in Nigeria, but I left Nigeria when I was quite young. Came directly to London when I was five years old. And apart from a couple of stints here and there and um, outside of the UK, I've spent my entire life in London. And growing up here, it was quite strange and interesting, actually, because I'd come from Nigeria at quite a young age. When I went to school, obviously coming to primary school because I was just five years old, I couldn't speak English. So there was, so I've had my polio since before my first birthday. And there was a presumption that because I was disabled and I couldn't really understand what people were saying, that I might have had learning difficulties as well. And it was just a case of I was in Nigeria. I didn't speak English there. It's just kind of like, this is something that I will learn. And my mother, God bless her, when the teachers had gotten her into the school, like, hmm, hey, maybe this isn't the best fit for your daughter. She simply said, look, do your job. You teach her, she will learn and promptly left. So it's just kind (laughs) of like, yeah, exactly. So It's been, you know, wonderful having such an advocate, you know, like a black woman, you know, like your mother, like from day dot advocating for you and fighting for you. And um, growing up, I, I was very much the obsessed with TV, obsessed with media child. And I was always quite interested and fascinated by traveling, but I wasn't able 
to do so until later in life. But I did enjoy hanging out with my friends, telling jokes and just generally, yeah, getting getting on with life, I guess. And trying to do all of that while obviously being a disabled black young woman was certainly interesting. But yeah, it was, I mean, it's all I've ever known. So, I mean, I enjoyed myself for the most part, I will say. You've brought some really interesting points there. I think the one that I'm... I, what really resonates with me and probably Julie as well is the fact that if you've gone through anything as a child, especially as a black child, and it, your parents potentially see the different layers of maybe discrimination, microaggressions, as well as potentially seeing problems that you know any parent will have, you know, maybe with school. Yeah. The the strength of the of a, of a strong parent to yes. who potentially doesn't have a community of, of support for herself, the strength that that person can bring when they know that injustice is happening to their children, it's incredible, um, and it's a story that we've heard a lot, uh, uh, as you can imagine, with a lot of our guests on the on the on the podcast. That it's the strength shown by family that's helped them get through, and obviously help them to believe in themselves as well, which I think is really important. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's um, something we've both discussed before, Stephanie, um, when we were both together on the Virgin Media panel. It's just a case of like our mothers, you know, being heralded as those that were our first protectors. And it's a case of being, I mean, being a Nigerian woman and being specifically Yoruba as well. Like I was always taught, so you got to have pride in yourself, pride in who you are, pride in your heritage, pride in where you come from and don't ever let anybody kind of like question that. So on the one side, it could come across as arrogance, but for me, there's quite a positive in black people from like all over the globe, you know, really taking a hold and cherishing their heritage because outside of us, and sometimes unfortunately, even within us, it's something that's to be looked down upon, sometimes denigrated, not quite good enough, sometimes mm-hmm. lacking. So having that strong foundation of absolutely not, this is something in which you should take pride, in which you should hold your head high. I think that sets you on a very good foundation because then you'll have a 30-something-year-old woman that, like, you can't tell me nothing, like, not to be proud to be Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things about my home nation that need to be changed, that need to be fixed, like, as soon as possible. But... It's not for the powers that be, shall we say, to tell me that um, what I have is lacking. Yeah, no. Amen. Yeah, and I just also love the, that your mother's expectations were not limited by... Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely you know, and then that passes on to you because she's your first protector, but she's also like your first teacher. That's how... Yeah. And just how powerful that is. And because you have that example... And, and that at home it kind of I don't know there's just kind of it doesn't it, you you have your your vision for your life hasn't been limited because yeah expectations were still there and that's, that's wonderful and so like powerful yeah absolutely and I think it's really important especially because I'm disabled as well like there was always that risk of just kind of like mm, you know she'll do the best that she can and kind of that can sometimes be quite limiting I mean obviously there can be occasions where there's too much pressure put on a person but if it's just kind of like if those closest to you you know your family your parents don't have any sort of expectations for you then it's quite difficult to have expectations of yourself because you have not been taught that and I also love what you said about your mum instilling just who you are and just pride in that and I mean I think these days there are lots of well for me new terms I'm coming across that explain previous things that I've experienced so you mum breathing affirmations into you every day and our mum did that on the way to yeah. school just there was a no name for it it's just something that she did and said and I remember yeah yeah people overhearing and almost like mocking it and being a little bit like you know but thinking well surely doesn't your mum say that to you but it's just yeah there's that and then you know yeah so I just think that's also like brilliant and lovely and it's great that you you had such a positive influence at home and um, oh yeah absolutely do you mind me asking, when you came at age five, do you remember that journey? And, you know, did you have any preconceived ideas about where you'd be coming to, what it would be like, that kind of thing? Or? Um, when I was coming over, do you know, it's very strange. I don't particularly remember the journey, but I remember kind of, I guess, almost like meeting my parents for the first time again, because they had, as is true for um, quite a number of people, especially those from Nigeria, it's like the parents will go off and try and like build a life and like as soon as you can, obviously you want your kids to come with you. So I had grown up for a short time, yes, but I'd grown up 
growing up in Nigeria with different family members. And I, you know, I don't come from a moneyed family. So one distinct memory that I have is that um, in Nigeria with the, with the family, cousins, whoever, like we'd all sleep together, you know, there'd be like, you'd never, you'd never ever sleep alone. And then I came over here, this tiny skinny little thing and I had this room all to myself and this huge you know for me at that time this huge bed all to myself and I couldn't sleep alone and I was just kind of like knocking on my parents doors like no please let me in like I can't sleep by myself and I was like scared of the dark yes it's all very cute but um, (laughs) and it was a case of just like like no drama like you have to go and sleep in your own room and I tell you I slept outside the uh, on the floor of their bed and then one of them I think maybe came out uh okay you're on the floor and then she's kind of like gave him like okay fine you can come into bed with us because I was like "Uh -uh, I'm not sleeping you know by myself (laughs) in that dark room like I'm used to like minimum like another two three people with me and all of a sudden I'm by myself so I mean now I love having my bed to myself but yeah that's certainly like the first memory of being like no actually I don't want to sleep alone so that's really interesting yeah I would never thought about that yeah because usually I mean the way it is over here it's usually like oh I have to share with my brothers and sisters I can't wait to get my own room and you know maybe I might have had that but because where I was coming from like I always felt um, I don't have any distinct memories but I always felt quite safe secured and loved like that's the feeling that I remember and especially um, my late grandmother rest her soul like I was just felt like a peace and just like a loving like quite contentness there and then all of a sudden I was in this room by myself and I was like nah bro make some room like please (laughs) (laughs) it's that sense of community though isn't it I think it's it's something I always think I've never fully understood that like even though we've gone back to Ghana to see family and things Julian a a few more times than myself but yeah there was there was always people around it was always busy there was never a time especially I know we we only went for the summer holidays for like a, a period of six weeks maximum but I never ever thought, I can't remember a day where I wasn't either surrounded by people eating, cooking, playing. So I often do think now I'm a bit older and a bit more conscious about thinking about my mum's journey here. And this element of community would would have been one of the biggest things, a security blanket that was taken away from a very, very quickly. Absolutely. And it's just a case of, at least for my parents, it's just kind of, they both come from big families. So then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're by yourself in this new land and it's freezing cold because obviously they grew up in Nigeria like it's hot all the time and then it's raining you're freezing and it was back in the days like before people really had mobile phones so it's like you'd go to the telephone box it's chucking it down with rain you just have to keep filling up with money and like trying to talk to your family back home it's just kind of like oh let me talk to my daughter you know like let me talk to my son oh I had an older brother by the way he died like um just like over three years ago but it was just a case of like everything that you ever knew like you left it mm. to try and create a better life for, you know, this young family that you have. And then to be met with racism, just like abuse and, and all of these awful things. And they still went through that and were still able to keep quite a strong sense of self and enough mm-hmm. to instill it in their children as well. I think that's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your no, thank you. Yeah. Do you mind me asking what do your parents do or what did they do? Oh, wow. Well, I mean... And they came over here, they did any and everything. So, you know, kind of like porters in kitchens, you know, kind of like the odd jobs, cleaning and whatever. And it's just a case of, it was one of those, like I remember them telling me stories, like you would go out early in the morning that day and you'd just come back with like a job or two. Like you can't do that anymore. Like any sort of job is like upload your CV online and then you still got to fill out a form. It's like, it's all there on the CV, what are you doing? But um, (laughs) yeah, so they've had different manner of jobs you know and like but a number of them involved um looking after the very people that hated them and i'm Mm. sure a lot of parents you know can like relate with those Um, kinds of stories so like yeah i mean for me i'm bowled over and like fascinated and in awe of like their generation don't like get me wrong like there are things that you know need to be changed and need to be discussed in terms of like generational trauma and whatever but to be able to put all of that on your back and still like find a way forward yeah I think that's amazing but yeah they've 
they've done most jobs, to be honest. So, I mean, jobs that, you know, my soft or you poor girl, like lifestyle, that I couldn't like really imagine. But like they did that because it's like when you have no choice, like you'll do what needs to be done and yeah. Yeah, yeah. They just get on with it. Yeah. They've done Amazing. so well to be able to you know afford to bring you and your brother over as well oh yeah it's not true the kind of links and kind of responsibilities to family over there as well to maintain that and wow that's have you ever spoken to them about how they would they do it if they could have their time over would they make the same decisions or would they have stayed in Nigeria um do you know I've never asked them that specific question but they have you know spoken to me about some experiences you know like they've had both good and bad and it's just kind of like there's kind of like a sense of there's really a, a great sense of duty I feel it's just kind of like you know what it's upon me like I've decided to have this family so it's up to me to do what needs to be done to make sure that we're okay and mm-hmm. you know I think that's the way it should be because you choosing to bring more people into the world they are your responsibility but it's just kind of like that need not be made harder by you know those around you and unfortunately oftentimes it is but you kind of like grin um grit your teeth bear it and yeah you take it day by day like from when I was young like even to now it's like it's always been filled with laughter like even when things you know aren't as great as you'd like them to be like there's always something to find just find humor in maybe like we're watching a Nollywood film doing this that or whatever recalling a certain memory like laughter was one thing that was never in short supply so for that I'm grateful because you can get through most things as long as you have somebody that's on the same wavelength as you yeah no that's true I only ask because I think from, I often think in our situation, so our parents migrated from Ghana and, and we were born here, then it, it's this quest for a better life. And it's like, yes, life, what does better life mean? And I often think that in some ways we may be in a fun, arguably stronger financial position, arguably not, than uh, relatives back home. I just feel I've always felt that that my cousins have such richness because they have a better understanding of our culture and themselves within that culture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point that you bring across and it's just, it's the same old story, right? I came to the UK for a better life. I went to the US for a better life. I'm emigrating to Canada for the better life. And it's just kind of like, is it really that much of a better life when all of your days consist of poor weather, racism, (laughs) Do you get what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's that um, connection with your history and your ancestry, you know, as yeah. well. And the understanding of your culture through the language, through the food, through the customs. And thankfully, like, I can speak Yoruba because my parents were like, uh-uh, like, you've got to speak it. And for that, I'm eternally grateful because Yoruba is not easy to learn. <laughs> um, not at all. But there are certain things, for example, like I couldn't point out to you on a map actually where I spent time in Nigeria I couldn't point out to you on a map where my like grandparents my like you know that particular home it's like oh yeah take me to your grandfather's house and it's like I actually don't know and there are certain things and aspects that you wouldn't be privy to because for a lot of those that are you know back in um back in Africa you know able to spend time with their elders like it's such a great gift you know imagine if I was able to spend more time with my grandmother and the things that I could have learned you know like the more access that I would have had to that particular kind of knowledge because it's a case of like so much of our history leaves the moment these people die right and it's just kind of like who's writing it down who's making notes of this who's kind of like keeping a log of this specific history and yeah I think yeah, how do you define a better life? Because yeah, you might have more money in your pocket, but things cost more over here. Don't mm-hmm. don't get fooled by all this. It's like, <laughs> oh wow, they're just picking money off the trees over there in the West. It's real out here. Don't let these people lie to you. They be coming up to do year of return, spending all their money that they've been saving for three years. Like, like Tesco is live out here. We gotta be <laughs> like pulling them trolleys, all sorts. And that's not to denigrate it, but it's just like. We need to be honest with one another because every so yeah. often you see it on Twitter, you see it on the timeline, diaspora wars, who has it better, who has it worse, you're not yeah. black enough, oh, you're this, you're that, you're, and it's just kind of like, let's be honest, like, 
there's good aspects to living here there's bad aspects to living here and yeah. it's just a case of us and we'll have like romantic views of where we are not the grass is always greener so like for me mm -hmm. God, I need to go back to Nigeria, connected culture, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll talk to family and friend that I have over there. They're like, my friend, you better think twice. <laughs> think twice. Like, don't just leap over here and think you're going to do Ajala Chabla. Like, it's real. Like, we were all very aware of the more recent, like, um, NSARS, you know, like, yes. October, mm -hmm. October 20, like, there was, you know, a massacre. They're pretending that it's not, but it did actually happen. We have to consider mm -hmm. security, you know, it's just kind of like you have to figure out where is best for you, but realize that globally, even on the continent and off it, like, anti-Blackness, it's like people get rich off that people get fat off that people create generational wealth off of that so we need to take care of ourselves it doesn't matter if you're in the uk if you're in ghana if you're in uganda if you're in brazil like wherever you are we need to take care of each other and it's not uh, oh yeah i'm better than you because i'm still in africa or i'm better than you because i've got an american accent none of that matters we're all black and we need to recognize mm -hmm. that and like look after and uplift ourselves oh absolutely amen I'm totally with you on that. It leads quite nicely on to my next thought. So it's very, very apparent that social justice is just completely in your DNA, which I love. Would you say you've always had that passion for it or is it something that's kind of grown with you as you've become more aware and older in sort of your experiences? Um, what I will say is that in terms of, I mean, now we know it to be called social justice. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, our parents was like, oh, do okay? Like, it's good to be good. It's kind to be kind. Like, you should be good to people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it's like, there's this saying, Yoruba, that basically, like, if you have the ability to help somebody, it's like, they are your other, they are your second. Like, this is somebody that is a, a part of you, a part of your community. Like, if you have in you to be able to help somebody's situation, never look down on anybody regardless and it's not a case of like oh help people because in the future they might be able to help you it's like no help people because it's the right thing to do and it is actually your duty being here on this earth we have it's what we owe to one another and they'll tell me stories of like things that they'd experienced back in Nigeria over here and also tell me stories about their parents as well so like my grandparents and my mother's mother rest her soul it's just kind of like she would very gladly give you the shirt off of her back if that meant that you and your family could be okay you know and there would be times I mean we're all aware it's like all oh, people sending you know money back home sending this back home sending that back home and most oftentimes the money that she would get she would give it out to other people because she's like, you know, I'm okay. Like for as much, like I don't need much, but this person, mm. their kids need it for this schooling, mm. for that medical, whatever. So it's just kind of like, if you have it, of course it's to, it's to share because this money, this wealth, these successes, they are not for you and you alone. So that's what I grew up, you know, kind of like having been instilled in me. And then growing up, and like I mentioned, like TV was a very big thing. Just realizing that for most of all of my life, really, I'd never actually seen anybody that experienced life the way that I did. So I grew up on like black TV shows, you know, like in Kel, Sister Sister, um, Moesha, loved Moesha, you know, and all those kind of yes. shows. You know what I mean? And they're all like on Netflix now. I'm like, okay, watch out. Well, not Keenan and Kel, but you know, soon come, innit? But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But so I was just kind of like, oh, so this is the thing that's missing. And then growing up some more and learning that actually it's not only this representation that is the be all and end all. It's the fact that if you think back to it now, like your educational experience might have gone a very different way had your mother not just immediately put a stop to it mm -hmm. and it's not to say that you know other parents that might not have done the same it's not for their own lacking but so many things you just don't understand if there's nobody to explain that to you that actually if you allow them to take your child out of the school like it's a completely different situation like you need to make sure that you are the number one advocate for your child okay. and make sure that they become an advocate for themselves. But when you're working, you know, from morning till night, like some things unfortunately will slip through the cracks, right? So for me, it's just kind of like, okay, education is being affected, healthcare is being affected, social mobility is being affected, access to just 
a good life, you know, not kind of like with your ostentatious, I have everything gilded in gold, but it's just kind of like, I can take time off work and that won't bankrupt me, you know, like I'm able to provide my kids with the things that I would like them to be able to have access to, you know, and like leisure as well, because not everything is always about this series or whatever. Life is here to be enjoyed, but for so many, it's just kind of like day in, day out. It's the same day repeated year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not getting any better. Like, yeah, you know, you're allegedly in the land of milk and honey, but the milk's gone sour and the honey's missing. Do you get what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was just kind of like, nah, like we got we got to do something. So once upon a time, I was on a social media platform, and you know, I'd seen Kim and I'd reached out, and I was just kind of like, hey, I've got this idea. It might sound a bit, but like, hear me out. But like, we've only <laughs> known each other for essentially the life of the triple cripples. It's really rather odd, and I'm forever grateful having met her. It's just a case of like, I feel like there are some people in your life that you're meant to meet mm-hmm. and and we'll both say the same thing had I not reached out to her there's no way in heck we would have ever met because she's she's not that person to do the reach out I'm the person to be like hi my name is okay nice to meet you let's let's do something like I'm that person that reaches across the aisle and it was something what would now be known as the triple cripples it was something that I'd been thinking about for a very 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 long time but I'd never wanted to do it by myself and I was like okay do you know if I don't take this opportunity it might not come around again, you know, like I've been waiting, you know, realizing that I've been waiting for a very long time for Kim to pop up in my world. And it's a case of like, we were waiting to meet one another. And, you know, I'm a great believer, you know, in the ancestors. And it was just kind of like a case when the Asha, it went out. It's like, so shall it be? And yeah. Oh, fantastic. Amazing. So, um, I'm intrigued, actually. And I had the perception that you'd known each other. It seems like that. <laughs> Did you have the name? the triple cripple or did you the concept of that and also and um, if you don't mind me saying it's quite a provocative name yes the reason I say that is in this kind of political correct time I personally wouldn't use like the word couple to describe you know the um visibility so uh, yeah I'm just really intrigued would it be all right to I'm sorry you've probably been asked this loads but if you don't mind going to yeah sure of course um right so the name we didn't start off with the name no so essentially one time Kim and I had been together over at her place and we'd just been talking and it was a case of like okay we need to have a name we need to have a name that immediately hooks you in but also kind of gets to the crux of what we're trying to talk about what we're trying to discuss and the things that we are trying to change and she just you know just said it like as an offhand comment the triple cripples and I latched onto it after I'd finished laughing (laughs) but it's just kind of like it's a case of first of all it rhymes which is wonderful but it also Mm -hmm. speaks to so um, oftentimes people get confused asking, you know, kind of like, where's our third? It's like the triple cripples, like there's only two of you, where's the third one? But it actually speaks to our intersecting identities at yeah. the intersections of ability, race and gender specifically. So it is only ever just the two of us. We're not like hiding a third. Um, <laughs> like, you don't get to be a part of it. You're just here for the name. Um, and it needed to be that provocative because if we'd had something like um, two black women or something like that you have to name the problem like you have to name the problem and you have to tackle it head on and it's just kind of there's no point trying to shy away from this because I will say to those that are not disabled not part of the disability community like don't be out here saying crippled like make sure if you're mentioning that word like it's in the context of the triple cripples yeah um (laughs) yeah it's just kind of like well they can say the n-word why can't i it's just like don't don't get caught with your pants down you know um (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah and it's just kind of it's speaking to the very unique experience of those that have been so marginalized and have been so invisibilized because you're not actually anywhere to be seen like on the rare occasions that disability is mentioned it is often white and it is often male, you know, and we have to consider the fact that just because somebody has a disability doesn't mean that they can't be racist. The disability community has a huge problem with racism, but most communities out there have a huge problem with racism. Remember when I said about denigrating black people in it? 
So mm-hmm. it's just a case of like disability is often as an afterthought, often as an add-on. It's like, yeah, you know, sexism, this isn't this isn't, and I guess the disabled as well, just like tack that on. And then within the black community as well, disability is something that we don't really like to discuss. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, your aunt just kind of like walks like that. Like nothing more is ever said. It's just kind of like, that's just kind of like what happens. It's like somebody was fine. They got sick suddenly and then they died, but nothing is ever really said more about that because it's not, and not to like make a blanket statement, but in so many of our cultures around the world, We're trying to remove ourselves, you know, away from disability because that scene is something that's being less than. I mean, through the transatlantic slave trade and also from the East as well, because people often forget like the Arabs were out here doing a madness. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, no, honestly, like Krishani in Islam be like, bro, had they come in? Do you know what I mean? Um, Oh, you better go ahead, sip your water, Julie. Um, <laughs> she's like, mm, point to the age. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I even lost where I was going. Yeah, no, so like within the Black community, like we don't like to talk about disability. We don't really like to confront illness. It's just kind of like, we just keep working, yeah. we keep working, we keep producing, we keep being useful. Because who am I if I'm not able to do? Who am I if I'm not useful? Who am I if I cannot provide for my family, provide for my children, provide for those that actually rely upon me, that depend upon me? So it's just kind of like, "Mm, yeah, my leg kind of hurts, but I've still got to go to work though. It's like, yeah, my eye feels a little bit funny, but I still got to go to work though. I still Mm got to make that money. And like white supremacy, capitalism, it's just kind of like, will work you to your death, will work you to your grave. And the minute that you die, it'll just replace you with another one. So like all this, yeah, you know, like obviously everybody has the same CV, we're all hard workers, et cetera, et cetera. But I do not dream of labor. I would rather not, to be honest. I want to just be out here being a baby girl, picking up some hobbies and whatnot and eating off the fat of the land. But capitalism said, you better work, bitch. So I did. (laughs) Yeah. So true. You brought up a really good point. So I have a friend, the family are from Jamaica. She's born here in Leeds. And she brought up just a random conversation that, and it's something obviously I resonate with, Julia resonates with, you resonate with, that her... She's never, her mum, she saw her mum even go to work when she was obviously really poorly, really sick. Yeah. She, you could tell the, the best place for her would have been in bed to recover, but she would drag Absolutely. herself out to go to work because this element of a sick no, even though she was more than likely, you know, ready, she was very, she had all the you know, tick boxes to use a sick note. She would never use it because it's not for us. We always would push ourselves to, yeah, yeah. to deliver regardless of how we feel. So again, the conversation went on and stuff. And then she was talking about a cousin who had a disability. And um, she said, rather than see the disability for, you know, for the positives that it would bring, the, the, her cousin was super intelligent. The reason why their, their family didn't really talk about it was because immediately it was seen as a hindrance in terms of how far he, the, 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 well, they saw the limitation of potentially. Yes, yeah. He, he, he would never be able to push himself as, let's say, her mum did, even though yeah. essentially. Even though was, none of us should push ourselves that far. We're not supposed exactly. to. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So again, for me, it was one of the first conversations I'd ever had, actually, in terms of that intersectionality. Yeah. I had been aware of conversations and obviously the, the additional obstacles potentially, but we don't, as a community, often talk about it. There's, I don't think, it, again, I would also feel quite awkward going to somebody, and maybe maybe not so much now, but before, and yeah. asking questions about, you know, what, what experiences this person had and what experiences that person had versus somebody else. And I don't know whether that's the British side of me being a little bit too polite and not wanting to... To, you know, to provide- no, I'm gonna tell you something, yeah, because this is always a stereotype that's bandied around. British people are not polite. They are <laughs> not true. polite. Wow, these people will stab you. Are you serious? Like, there's a stiff upper lip thing, you whatever. That doesn't mean the knife ain't sharp, fam. Like, <laughs> yeah, true, very yeah. true, very true. You speak the truth there, but do you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I do. I do. It's probably similar to some people not wanting to discuss race or discuss gender stuff in, in some ways, not every way, but there's a worry that I don't want to offend or ask the wrong questions. And I think that needs to potentially change because I think we can only learn from having open conversations, can't we? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's a case of there is this awkwardness. I forget which newspaper it was in, but they'd like survey people. And quite a number of them said that rather, even if they'd wanted to get to know the person, if somebody had like um, a visible disability, so like they had the signifiers of being disabled, the wheelchair, the crutches or whatever, that they would be reluctant or like reticent to start a conversation with them just because they didn't want to say the wrong thing. And it's just kind of like, okay, you don't want to say the wrong thing. He doesn't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to say the wrong thing. You know what happens? The disabled person is just completely left out. Like yeah. nobody's talking to you. Nobody's interacting with you. You're kind of like the chopped liver on the side that nobody mm. really wants to mess with. Do you get what I mean? And it's why I think it's so important, especially in terms of like schooling and education, especially people need to get used to disability. Yes. People need to be surrounded and get comfortable with disability. People need to see disability within their communities and outside of their communities as well. And they need to see it portrayed because when I was in primary school and we had um, PE, for example, you know, you had to change from your school uniform to like your PE kit and whatever, like my friends in secondary school like because there's a real earnestness with kids like if I'm asking like maybe the way that they ask it is a little bit booky to like adult ears but it's just kind of like no no, seriously like I want to know like I honestly there's no malice or forethought or anything like that I'm just curious like they would turn it into a game like taking off my caliper which is a leg brace and it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like okay you time me I'll see how quickly I can get it on and off and it's just kind of like that's something that they Uh became kind of like used to it wasn't so if they saw somebody else that like had a leg brace it's like oh yeah my friend has that or like this girl that I go to school with has that and yeah it's like oh yeah like um my next door neighbor he uses a wheelchair and like we race each other and like that's part of inclusion which is why it's a problem when um schools aren't inclusive because then you get adults that um feel really awkward around disability because so often whenever kids see somebody with a disability or something that's slightly different to the people that they're used to seeing they want to ask a question and the parents immediately shut it down what you're saying to that child Mm -hmm. is that no this is something that we don't talk about this is taboo you should keep away from it then they become adults that keep away from it. So both sides lose, you know, because there's a a great richness um, within the disability and quite a lot of innovation actually um, stems from the disability community because you have to figure out a way to adapt and adapt quite quickly into a world that really wasn't built for you, that sometimes Mm -hmm. feel like it was built against you because there's so many kind of like behavioral and like environmental factors that actually disable people. So it's just kind of like the social model um, tells us that the disability is not inherent within the person needs your care, but it's just kind of like, I am being made disabled because there isn't a ramp here, because there isn't a lift here, because your attitude has determined that I shouldn't, I wouldn't be perfect for this job, even though I have all of the qualifications. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm, Yeah, but she has a disability though. So no. And like, that's already cut off. Do you know how many times black people have had that done to them? Do you get what I mean? So it's just kind of like, we need to, from the very beginning, from the jump, it's just like, we have to get comfortable with it because being disabled is being human. It's part of the human experience and disability comes in all shapes and forms. Same as people come in all shapes and forms. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you do and how you represent in all of the areas that you kind of your identity intersects and it's so important and there's but there's work to be done everywhere yes not just raising awareness because awareness isn't enough but making the kind of bare minimum changes for things to be truly inclusive and for disabilities not to be thought of as an afterthought or you know inclusivity is such a big topic and very hot topic at the moment it seems but yeah it's, it shouldn't be a top because this is this affects people's lives on a day to day. Yeah, true say. And the thing is, like, as you're saying, inclusivity is a very big thing right now. But the people, you know, getting hired to do the inclusivity, baby, you're already included. So what are we really talking about? Yeah, exactly. That really needs to have, be a massive sort of restructure and look at, to be honest. Because I've noticed that a lot, that there's a lot of talk, there's lots of people with great experience being hired, but the rooms reflect what you're wanting to achieve. And that's yeah. a, big, a big, big, big problem, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But I do, I've always loved the name of Triple Cripples. Um, when you were being marketed as to be on the panel with the Virgin Media conversation during Black History Month, 
yeah. your branding, your name did exactly what you wanted to do. That people were talking about you before you even appeared on the panel. They were like, "What yeah. is this about? What you know? What does it mean?" And again, people were googling what intersectionality is because again, it, they didn't understand. Yeah, you know the, the concept. So I'm a big, big, big fan of everything that you did there with the name and what you still um, strive to do in terms of making people see and change and educate themselves in terms of the, the the topic of intersectionality. I think it's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and it's um, you know, like it's always said, like you have to you have to name the problem, you know. And was uh, like the late great Toni Morrison, rest her beautiful souls. Like she wrote her first book because she wanted to read it, and it's just kind of like, you know what? I there's a problem here. I think it needs to be fixed. It's like okay, then get to work. You know, like mm-hmm. it has to be you that does this work. But it's just yeah. not that we're doing this work or the Afro Leeds is doing this work. Or like um, the Black Pound Day people are doing this work. Like that almost relieves um, those that are at the very top of their responsibilities. Like, no, you have a responsibility. We need to be leading these conversations because it's our lives that yeah. are being affected. But the structures that were created by you like you need to also dismantle them because like you rightly said, Julie, awareness isn't enough. It's like when white privilege became the buzzword and you just have like a random white person come up to you. It's like, I'm aware of my white privilege. <laughs> and it's like, stop, okay. Stop. <laughs> like, Stephanie, it's like, okay. Like, are you going to pay me my money though? Because how is this affecting my life? Like, are you going to... Like, hop with me to the British Museum and see Wagwan. Like, give me my shit back. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah. I am so aware of the ways in which the toxic, what, like, shut up and, like, do the work. Yeah. Because it's change. not enough. Because then, like, people will be putting on their dating sites, talking about, wow, white privilege, we've got to do something. And then just sit there. My friend, if you don't get up. But you do, but- you, you embody that kind of paving the way for others especially, you know, with what you do with the Triple Cripples, with the Star Children Initiative. I love that. I love that you're trying mm. to help and empower children and families. I was saying to Steph, you know, even the fact that that organisation supports children and families up until the age of 21, that is kind of mind-blowing because that transition yeah. from 18 onwards in so many different services is such, it's so critical. It can be, it lacks because Absolutely. when you trans transition between um, pediatrics and children and adults in whatever yeah. it's just not the same because you don't have absolutely not like the hand holding just stops immediately and it's like mm-hmm. they're still the same child that they were yesterday when they were 17 I promise yeah. you yeah of course so you just did the, the thought that's amazing and also that you, you're doing it here and in Nigeria and I, I just think yeah, yeah. We, all have, we all have work to do in terms of making the world better for people who have lived experiences that are different to us because it's not enough if anyone's finding difficulties because of the way that, that things are set up we all have responsibility to make this, the changes they might be small where we are but collectively will mean a lot more and even if it's just kind of like just thinking and being aware that how you're setting something up or proposing to do something is going to be excluding somebody so actually maybe we won't just do it just because things have been done like this before so yeah yeah it's really kind of heartening and it's an encouragement because you don't have to do that what you do do you know what I mean yeah and you know yeah yeah absolutely and I think like I said it's it is our duty and the imperative is you know on us because we were given the permission and allowed to be so audacious and bold because of those that had paved the way for us those within our families like our mothers and those like outside of our immediate spheres as well you know kind of like the people that we saw the people that we heard the people that we were made aware of like little by little they paved more of the way so it I think it is up to us to as much as we can within like where we are able to to do the work to um continue like we can't just say it's like okay this is great enough like you have paved enough of the road for me and then I'm just going to leave it here it's like no Mm -hmm. it is imperative upon us to continue the work so that the people that are coming behind us some of the work that we had to do they won't have to do it and then they'll pave the way a little bit more so the people after them some of the work that they had to do they won't have to do it and mm-hmm. I think that's like little by little, like that's how the the job gets done. Because imagine if the people before us hadn't done the work 
<clears throat> excuse me, that they had done before. Like, where would we be? Exactly. Yeah. I think that all the time. I really yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why, like, sometimes people like to, like, talk slick. Like, when was it happening? I think um, during the, like, Black Lives Matter, like, when that had really kind of, like, started when I think the three women had, like, started it off. And some people were, like, talking out of the side of their neck, talking about we are not our ancestors, like, we will fight back, blah, blah, blah. No, mm-hmm. our ancestors fought back every single step of the way. Like, yeah. they walked, they avoided buses, public transportation. For, do you know how long? Not just in the US and over here, like, the Bristol bus boycott. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. they were like, no, we are not going to put up with this. Like, they were being hounded by water hoses. They were being beaten by punks. And they were being chased all over the place. But yeah. you have the audacity to fix your mouth to say you are not your ancestors. Do you know what? You're right because you do not have the stones. You do not have the yeah. range. Yeah. You could never. So yeah, that's, I don't know, that's like really like wildly bold to me. I'm like, hmm, it is worse. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And that's why the history needs to be taught because you cannot be thinking, like, oh, wow, I'm paving the way. Nobody's ever done it like me. It's like, do you know how many people have done it before the person that did it before you? Like, mm-hmm. it's just like we're all fighting the same battles, but yeah. with each new year, with each new generation, we have different tools, but it's still the same fight. And you have to acknowledge and be grateful and thankful for the ancestors that came before you. And I say ancestors as Black ancestors, not just the ones that are related to you by blood, because what happens to Black people in Africa, in Ghana, in Nigeria, in South Africa, it affects Black people over here. Mm-hmm. And do you know what I mean? Like, we are all connected by that. So it cannot be enough for me to be like, okay, do you know what? Let's do it for the Black British mandem. Like, yes, of course. Yeah. Like, that's where you live. You've got to make sure where you're living is okay. But if people are doing a madness to Black people in Brazil, which, surprise, surprise, they are, like that is also your fight. Like yeah. it's upon us to educate ourselves and be aware. And you're not going to know everything. We're all going to have pockets of ignorance, but it's just kind of like as much as you can, you should seek out knowledge and listen to those that know more than you, because there'll be certain topics that I'll be able to teach both of you. And there'll be certain topics that you both will be able to teach me. And it's not just kind of like not listening because you feel like you've reached this peach or like upper echelon of knowledge, experience or awareness. No, there will always be these gaps. There will always be these lacunas and we need each other to be able to, to fill them up. You're right. There's a saying, isn't there? Like, you stop learning, you're dead. You know, you can't. That's it. Yeah. Stop learning. There's always something. There's always an unknown. Always, always. Like, to this day, I don't know how to grow fruits and vegetables. You know how okay if I could, I'd be if I could grow my own tomatoes. Like, I was part of this, uh, what's it like, this Zoom kind of like talk. And I was saying about the knowledge that our ancestors passed on to us from like the land, like through years, generations, yeah. centuries, it's just kind of like these plants are good. These plants are not good. These plants are good for this. This one is not good for that, but you should use it for this. This one you should have in the morning. This one you should have in the evening, like all of that knowledge being passed down, being passed down. So we know actually, yeah, this cucumber, it's okay. This particular mushroom, don't eat that unless you want to die in like five mm. minutes you know so (laughs) like but that is knowledge like it's not the knowledge that's gonna get you on the Dow Jones or the FTSE 100 but tell me how you feel after not eating for a week like that's knowledge exactly you know like stocks you know stocks and bonds yeah they're cute and everything but if you don't actually know what to do with the land how to um, grow something from that and not just take from it like where would we be where would we mm. be without the grains? Where would we be without the fruits, without the vegetables? That's knowledge. And that's knowledge that I do not have. Yeah, mm. I'm not thought of as not being smart. So yeah. we have to be aware that there will always be gaps. There will always be gaps. So, Jamake, we just love speaking to you. And there's so many areas that we wanted to cover, but it's come to the point in the podcast to ask you our Melanie Magic question, if that's okay. The Melanie Magic question is, what are your hopes and dreams for Black British business and culture in the next five to 10 years? And do you have any insight on how we're going to get there? Well, my 
hopes and dreams for Black British culture in the next five to ten years is that we learn that we make more of an active decision to learn more about specific Black British culture. Because for me, and for like quite a large portion of my life, whenever I'd be speaking about the experiences of Black people, like it would always be within the American context. And then the more you learn and you learn about so actually like things were going on over here, you know, like here in the UK, like the Black Panthers, like we had them here in the UK as well. And the different people that fought and paved the way for us, like Claudia Jones, you know, like starting off the very first carnival, now not in Hill Carnival, but actually started in King's Cross, you know, kind of like the West Indian Gazette yeah I think that's what she'd started as well and it's just kind of like looking to that and like grounding ourselves within that because the usual thing that you see within the diaspora wars is just kind of like yeah everybody's trying to bite off the Americans do this do that whatever but if we consider the media which is why it's so so powerful it goes everywhere the media that we were fed for the most part it was American like the sister sister the Moesha the King and Kel the (laughs) The Parkers, this, that, whatever. Yes, they were Black, and that's wonderful, but they were Black American. They couldn't speak to, you know, the lived experiences of Black boys and girls in Peckham, Black boys and girls in Tottenham. Do you get what I mean? And having more of a focus on what the Black experience is within the British context, but still just using that as a leaping off point, but not kind of like enclosing ourselves within that, but looking to the experiences of Black people, Black people elsewhere, because we are everywhere. And the way we can get into, um, well, get there, I think, is not seeing ourselves as a monolith, no, but looking to ourselves in in a way of interdependence, like you need me and I need you. Like these borders that have been created that say that Julie and Stephanie are Ghanaian and I am Nigerian, that was created. That was created by somebody else, you know, kind of like some Black people being Brazilian and others being Colombian that was created these borders were created and I think we um we need to remember what we owe to each other now I'm not going to be out here doing all the airy fairy what humans owe to humans now the rest of them owe us a lot so we need to focus on what we owe to each other because so often we look outside of ourselves and I've seen this (laughs) I know it's making me laugh now but it's actually kind of sad like there was this tweet because apparently I live on Twitter like somebody had I think some Americans like now doing this food challenge or whatever it's just kind of like oh my god it's so great I need to bring you with me to Africa I need to do this and somebody else is like who claimed you when you were eating Chinese rice please like who claimed you when you started eating spaghetti like we're always inviting people over and that's why they feel it just like okay and calm to kind of like appropriate the culture but then still disrespect it at the same time like no stay where you stay I stay where I stay like yes the cacao was delicious you are not invited but I will see you over coffee Beatrix like (laughs) Like we can do that together. It was just kind of, I have been accepted by the, you have not. You are not. Yeah. And we need to be aware of our, our power and potential and also protective of that. You know, let's be yeah. protective of that because it's something to be cherished. And our ancestors fought and died for this. So who are mm-hmm. we to now just like give it away? Because what, like somebody in Philadelphia tried for food one time. My friend, be serious. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like big up for fufu in it. Like I love it. I swear, love fufu. it. <laughs> like I lived on fufu and in katsinkwan when I was in Ghana. Like it's just oh, delicious. Did you enjoy Ghana? Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I was only in Accra, but I need to, um, I need to go back and um, and see so so much more. Like Cape Coast, go to Volta, go to Tamale. Like just drench myself in share, but you know I've still got some food. <laughs> I, I just I keep looking at it like right, it's running out, but it's okay, it's okay. Every every time I'm moisturizing myself and just like dropping a tear, like mm, this is one less for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm the same. I definitely my, my aim after lockdown and when life gets back to normal is to do a good old trip to Ghana. I've not been since I was about is it 16? I think it was last time I went roughly around there. So age like ages and ages ago. So oh my god, take me with you. Like let's I'm do it. it oh my god, would I be on Jay on Life as well? We could do a couple of snaps. We could do a feature. Yes. Yay. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> IGTV. Where you at? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I love your answer. So it kind of just nicely leads from what you're saying about learning and knowledge. I think we don't. Yeah. 
the learning and knowledge within our culture. And then sometimes other people come in and kind of see if what it is and appreciate it might rebrand it as their own. But you know that that there's generations and centuries of learning from our surroundings. Yeah, like the originators will always be the originators. Yeah, it seems that within the culture there is a kind of the rumblings of more appreciation to taking things back because we've mm. for so long admired what the, the western gaze anything that's west is best but now we'll actually yeah. know it isn't <laughs> and yeah, what, it isn't. obviously there's there, there's still the ongoing draw and drain of um africa for whether it's or like the continent whether it's the people the resources but yeah. we're, we're starting to appreciate it more i think and um yeah. go back to not basics but just go back to fundamental what we what what we know and, and building on that but yeah I think I love yeah I really loved your answer to that so and, and kind Thank of you. building on black British narratives and not limiting them yeah. yeah I always think that you know it's if I had the chance to go back and if history was taught well at school there would I would probably be no a, no, a no that's the thing they did teach it well for their narrative if it was taught properly correct. and truthfully you Correct. know how many black kids would have been writing? I would have been yeah. writing because these men kept talking about Hitler. But who knew about <laughs> King Leopold II? Please, this man was a murderer. Yeah, actual yeah. murder. Like, wow. Anyway, let me not start. Let no, but you're hundred percent right. You are hundred percent right because I think because I loved history at school yeah. and I loved you know areas that I look back now and think, God, wow, it's a bit crazy. You know, Henry VIII and all of his wives and the courts and all that stuff. I loved all that stuff, but. Yeah. I think if I was taught, like you say about, you know, Claudia Jones, the Bristol boy, the bus boycotts, yeah. it's some of the pioneers in the NHS that have, you know, created yeah. some amazing things and, you know, lent their skills to some amazing innovation in, in terms of medicine and, and life sciences. I think I would probably be a, a much different person. There's an element oh, absolutely. Of, of self that I think, of a pride that is completely missed because you don't realise or you can't see yourself in history. You just see, yeah. like you see history through whitewashed eyes, really. Yeah. And, it's um, just like, they'll be like, so slavery happened and everybody looks at you be like, what's Yeah, that? oh no, don't. Oh, mate. don't. And, and it's just like so <laughs> awkward because like, what do you say? It's just kind of like, you know, there must have been something before slavery, but obviously like, you don't know. You so you're just there, there like, like no. yeah. <laughs> and also, and also, there was this song. Sorry, I, I will stop talking in a second. But there was that song: "The child is black, the child is white." Wait, and I remember what? people just what looking at me. Oh my god, there was a song that was like, "Together we learn to read and write, to read and write," or something like that. Yeah, but there were there were there were different um, like verses to it. And one of the verses were, was, "The child is black, the child is white. Together we learn to read and write, to read and write." And I remember every time that, that 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 verse was coming, I would go so red in terms of like not anxiety because I, I wouldn't say it was anxiety, but I would just be so embarrassed because I knew what was coming. Yeah, and everybody would look, and I would yeah, just and they like, just turn oh. to you. Awkward feelings. So yeah, it's all it's all those awkward moments that I look back now and think, Do you know, I had every right to feel awkward. This was just not right, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> and the thing is, because of the way white supremacy is set up, like it's not just the students kind of like looking at you, making you feel away. It's the teacher like co-signing yeah. this. You get what I mean? It's just kind of yeah. oh, you're going to talk back to your teachers. Like no, this is this is actually wild. And I yeah. can't imagine like growing up in Hull because obviously like we have more black people down here in London and it's just like, wow. It's yeah, an experience, Sha. It's an experience. Yeah, definitely. So where can our listeners get in touch with you? What social media handles can they follow? Right, yeah. So for the Triple Cripples, uh, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Triple Cripples. So that's T-R-I-P-L-E-C-R-I. P-P-L-E-S. On Facebook and on YouTube, we are The Triple Cripples. And if you're trying to follow me and see what's up, just look on IG and on Twitter for J on Live. So that's J-A-Y-O-N-L-I-F-E. But I'm thinking of changing that, you know. You guys. Why? I love it. Like, no, I love J on Live, but then it's just kind of like, that's like the shortened, diminutive version of my name. Uh, of course, but, yeah. You know, and I'm thinking just like, just put in Jamaka, but there's so many Jamakas. Like, I, I love my name, don't get me wrong, but it's just kind of like, ah, Jamaka, ah. Um, <laughs> so, um, 
But yeah, do you know, I'm really, I'm such a lazy travel blogger. Like I haven't posted anything in the longest. Like, I mean, prior to COVID-19, like I'd been to Thailand, Vietnam and like Portugal and I've posted like maybe twice perhaps. And there's so many amazing pictures, but I just like keep that for myself. But it's just like <laughs> capitalism is always trying to get you to monetize something. I beg, let yeah. me just travel, be a baby girl, eat some food and then come back home. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> it's not like what you don't have to, to share every single aspect. yeah exactly yeah so yeah it's um but yeah I I, I do want to travel around Africa some more and you know go from west west gang stand up and then kind of like move my way out there and really love to visit like East Africa oh honestly we could talk to you all day but we can't because <laughs> I'm sure you've got things to do but we just thank you so much it, honestly it's for, you know for joining us we really do appreciate your time and um and it's been an absolute honor and to our listeners thank you for listening and join us again next time bye